Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Mike Benson from Dabble Ventures. Hello, Mike. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. Very excited to talk more about you and your background because I know there's a lot that we can learn, especially about product. But before we do that, if you don't mind, Mike, can you give us a little bit more information about your background, essentially kind of like where you came from and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So um, so I've been a bootstrap entrepreneur, entrepreneur for about seven to eight years. Um, so got got my background um, in sales, actually working for a company called TransPerfect. So it was selling uh, translations essentially to attorneys. And so um, really learned the ropes of, of sales and, you know, working at, you know, a pretty like large, well-oiled company. So the company was doing about 200 million dollars a year in revenue when I started and now it's at a, at a bit about a billion. Um, so I worked there for a couple of years and then got into the startup environment working for a company called Sticky and basically Sticky was like an eye tracking software company. And so that company really didn't have too much product market fit but got to see, you know, the startup environment and around that time I realized that I really wanted to start my own stuff and that's kind of where the bootstrapping world got, uh, that's kind of how I, I jumped in. And so um, I started a company called Byron, which was basically a virtual assistant pairing company. So small businesses looking to pair with US-based virtual assistants. Um, and so uh, scaled that to about like 10 to $15,000 MRR and really just kind of like learn how to have a startup like worked, went out on my own and um, I had a bunch of engineers like kind of building the product for me, didn't really necessarily learn how to code. And over time, I just kept reinvesting profits into the company, but eventually kind of ran out of money and learned how to do software engineering. And so um, kind of over that time learning software, I built a bunch of different products that kind of started and failed. Uh, but then eventually I came across a product that I created called Warm Up Inbox that basically was an email warming service. And so kind of the backstory with that is there was one or two other companies in the space, but they were really, really expensive. They were hundreds of dollars a month. And I just asked myself, I was like, why can't I make this $9 a month? Right. And just really like kind of undercut the market. And so I really, I built that product in a couple of days over the weekend and got some traction pretty quickly. Um, and so scaled that to thousands of users in only about 11 months and sold that to uh, a private equity company last year. And so that's kind of where Dabble Ventures started. So in my backstory, I've I've probably started and stopped 15 different companies, maybe even 20 have honestly like lost count. And so I really like to kind of scheme on different company ideas and different models. And I'm pretty good at this point at creating something from zero to one, uh, but kind of getting it one to scale is something that, um, you know, I haven't necessarily been great at. So it's been interesting, you know, with my last sale, a private equity company bought it and they're, they're doing an amazing job with it. And they're really bringing it from like one to scale. And so I've been really focusing my efforts on, you know, get it working with founders and starting companies from scratch, or even in some cases, buying companies that maybe has like a little bit to it, but really hasn't even gotten to that, say, 10 or $30,000 MRR mark and kind of getting it to there. So Dabble Ventures is basically like a startup studio where, um, you know, we're, we're spinning out companies and buying companies where really like the tagline is, is where venture capitalists like won't touch. So it's really focusing on the bootstrapper route 
um, you know, where, you know, these companies might have a max ceiling of like one to $2 million a year, um, you know, ARR and, and that's about it. So, yeah. It's an awesome history. And, and thank you for, for sharing that with us. I know we talked about it quite a bit, but love sharing it for our audience as well, too, because there's so much to learn and I've got so many questions. Uh, on me, it's about figuring out what the next best question is to ask to make sure <laughs> that this experience is what everyone else wants it to be, too. And the story with warm-up inbox, I think, is a great one. So maybe we can, I'd love to learn more about your process in terms of how you figure out what to build. I know it all too well myself as well, too, having been involved in multiple projects, usually at the same time, uh, sometimes a little bit more than I probably should be, but that has created some good results as well, too, which I know it also has for you. So love to learn more about your process. And the last thing I'll say before we dive into that is I've got a lot of value as well, too, for bootstrapped entrepreneurs and bootstrap ventures in that, you know, I've seen that world so much so where like VCs tossing money at something and it's all about growth for growth's sake. But a lot of times product market fit isn't there. Sometimes it never materializes profitability. It doesn't ultimately become a thing. And then that makes me question my own sanity. It's like, what what are we doing here? Right. <laughs> I thought at the fundamental level, it was intended to be a profitable business. So got right. a lot of value for bootstrap ventures. It's an approach that I've taken a lot myself as well, too. So anything you might want to share about any of that stuff, uh, feel free to dive in. But love to learn more, especially about what your approach typically is like as you're figuring out kind of what to either invest in or build. Sure. Yeah, I guess part of the reason why I bring up like TransPerfect and Sticky, which like are the first two companies that I worked for before starting kind of like my bootstrapper um, journey is like, so for example, TransPerfect, they do about a billion a year in sales and they are a hundred percent bootstrap company. So they are maybe like the number one bootstrap company in the world, maybe. <laughs> um, and so, you know, at, at Sticky, we, we raised a couple million dollars and we had a fundamental problem that like people were paying for, but then we threw money at the problem to say, okay, like we got a handful of clients like scale and like you scale with money in, in VC backed companies. And basically it was like, we just like hit a ceiling in one industry. And the idea was hopefully bringing it to other industries, but those industries were just like, uh, no, we don't need it. And so that's, kind of what caused that like collapse in, in that startup. So, you know, I've really seen kind of both sides of like, you know, how to leverage, you know, money in terms of like, I guess, crashing and burning in that case of the startup. But um, really like between both companies, there is like one fundamental thing is just like, are you providing a, a big enough differentiation? And like, are you actually solving a problem? And, can, you know, and can that problem actually so be you know spread wide wide enough for it to be a big company so in my case right now you know i'm looking pretty narrow you know like everybody's talking about there's like riches and in, in niches or, or niches however you want to pronounce it and yeah like it, that's the balance of like what i'm trying to find is like it, are there industries where you know there might be fifty thousand a hundred thousand potential customers but you know, you can get like 10 or 20% market share. And a lot of the time, like, you know, new entrepreneurs will come to me and say, well, if we get 1% of the industry, like this is going to be huge. And like, you know, they might be talking about like real estate or like, you know, oil, you know, so something crazy like that. And so, you know, the, these are, these are the things that is like, I try to back into. So like, for example, warm up inbox, my main source of, of, clients in the beginning was a like through a company called Mailworm and Lemlist. I said, okay, they publicly say that they have 50,000 clients and this other one might have 5,000 clients. And I'm like, okay, well, 
I came up with the idea of warm up inbox because, you know, one, uh, the domain wasn't taken and people were just starting to search it. So like I was able to see like, oh, I can get a click for like 30 cents for people actually looking at this. So basically they like there was no paid ads in that space yet, even though that market already existed. And so then I said, okay, can I make the product better? Just like a check box of like, is this product better? And then can I make it 10 times cheaper? And like one thing that I didn't realize was like, you know, people would write in for warm up inbox and be like, why is this so cheap? Like, is this legit? Right. And like, that would be like a customer support question that would come in a lot. And I'm realizing that like, if you can actually get people to ask that question, you are like onto something because it's like, they are questioning why it's so cheap. And then you're actually solving the same exact problem that they're paying for another company. So like, I guess one of the biggest issues like in SaaS right now is it's truly a race to the bottom, right? Like you might see on Twitter, people saying, Hey, you copied my idea or, you know, I, I can't believe there are so many copycats. It's, it's really because these products are so simple to make, right? So I was warm up inbox was the first warming up company in the U S you know, the two other ones were, you know, overseas. And I want to say now there's about 75 different warm up tools out there. Right. And so this was only a matter of like 18 months to two years, you know, it's, um, so, so it's really interesting, but I guess long-winded answer to get to, to your question is like, I, I look mainly for like SEO channels where like, okay, there's like compounding effects for years where that is like a true moat. Meaning like if somebody copies it, I'm still ranking higher in search terms. So that's, that's one thing that like, you know, yes, you got to make sure your pricing's good and everything like that, but that's like a moat where you can really anchor to. So Google actually was like, Hey, like you're the first company to talk about this. And like, even as all these competitors spent more money, we were still ranking number one because we essentially like kind of coined the phrase warming up your inbox. Um, and so, yeah, look for that. And then mainly like Google keywords. So like uh, just this morning, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, she created, we have a baby and the baby, a little light comes through the side of our curtain. So she created like barriers around the window um, so that the black, it would just be a black light, like, or just make it black. Right. And so we had the curtain guys come this morning and they're like, whoa, like, did we install that? And we were like, no, we made this ourselves. And so I was like, oh, hey, like, that's a business idea. Like, let me look. Okay. And so it's like, okay, the way that I look at that is I, I Google, what would somebody search for something like that? Is there a product that exists for it? If so, like, what's that mechanism? And then most importantly, how much can I pay for a click? And so generally I'm looking for like, you know, in Google keywords, it'll just say competition, high, medium, low. Um, I'm looking for something that's low in between like 30 cents to $2 with high search volume. And I mean, there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of, of ideas out there that have just not been uncovered, so. Well said, there's so much value in how you've described that in the experience as well too, how I would probably summarize it in terms of like cheap traffic that points to a potential specific painful problem starts to generate these ideas of validating that as an opportunity, right? And just how much there may be there. But you've also articulated well, I think, the all-important starting point for any of this, right? Which is the problem. Like just you described the curtains, we're talking about warming up inboxes, like all of these come from the problem. Plus, I love that example that you just shared where it's like, if you make it the goal for someone to ask you why this is so cheap, you're clearly onto something, right? Because without probably knowing it, what they're giving away is that 
uh, basically I need this and I can only find it elsewhere much more expensive. Right? <laughs> so it's kind of like they're almost underscoring for you. Uh, there's a huge opportunity here. I just, I need a quick sanity check before I dive in. Yeah. And, and, you know, going to the pricing too, like I just lean towards under, like I look in an industry and I say, can I be 10 times cheaper? Um, and then that's actually when I say, okay, like this might be worth going into it. And like, um, I wouldn't say that's like the catch all for every single business idea. I just think it's an easy way to quickly get traction because I, you know, I'll start up a company and create a landing page off a lot of these mechanisms that I just talked about. And like, I have a goal within five weeks is like, am I leaning into this idea or is it dead? Um, like so much so I'll, I'll shut down the site. Like I won't even pay the $20 for website hosting. It's just like, it's done. Like there's no hope. Um, and so those, those are just kind of the levers I pull. And because I'm just focusing on that, I am starting to get better at like looking at SEO metrics and looking at Google ad metrics, right? I'm not, I'm not getting tied up in like, oh, could this do well on Facebook? Maybe let's try TikTok too, to like hope that this idea will work on another channel. It's more like, all right, does this ideal work for these two channels? And if they do, then like you can try to spread out. But like, in all honesty, warm up inbox, those were the only two levers I pulled and it worked and it's starting to work really well for, for some of the other companies that I'm, uh, that I've only started, you know, about 14 months ago. So love that approach as well too. And getting specific with it in the beginning, right? Not trying to manage too many combinations or try to spread yourself too thin, really focus on the channels that you know that have worked before process that's worked as well too. And if those results materialize, maybe there's something worth continuing there, which is what I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about next. So totally understand the perspective you're taking in terms of finding the opportunity via like the search volume and what that costs and ways that speaking to opportunity, right? What's trending there. Love to hear you talk a little bit more about what the next steps largely are from there. I've heard you talk about landing pages. Love to know more about how you try to capture kind of the experience you're trying to test or validate building that into said landing page. And then essentially what's next from there. And part of my question there will be, you know, at what point do you start to get more technical with it as in, you know, cobbling together an MVP or working up the product itself. Uh, so that essentially be next from there. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like I, I've even gone as far as like not even creating like a payment page on some of these landing pages. I'll just, I'll actually have like a segment trigger that says like, Hey, the person tried to buy or like, you know, even like hoping that somebody will send an email with like, Hey, the buy button's broken. These are like, actually, that's how I started my first company, Byron. I created a landing page, just had all dead links, like hoping somebody would email like with enough frustration. That's cool. Um, and so, yeah, so really it's like uh, when I'm looking to see if like something's working, right. It's like, you know, everybody thinks it's like, oh, this channel's profitable. I'm more like, can I break even on this channel? Meaning like, you know, because you're going to have to tweak these things in, you know, the first couple of weeks. It's not a lot of the time you're not going to turn it on and be like, Hey, I'm making $50 a day on Google ads. It's more, um, you know, looking at it and saying, can I at least break even or get really close? Because then you can start to optimize a little bit. The SEO does take forever. So a lot of the time I'm leaning on the Google ad channel because basically you're already paying for the SEO. So the idea is like, okay, if you can, you know, rank immediately for number one on Google ads and then make money immediately without talking to people by landing on those pages, you're breaking even. But then Imagine if you're paying for the ads and then rank organically at the same time, that's when you're going to start to get really profitable. So those are kind of like the first litmus tests on there. And so um, I use a tool called like Google Optimize a lot of the time to just like 
try to do variations. I will say like, I don't get too caught up on that because you really need like a lot of traffic for like statistical significance around that. But sometimes you can find these things. If you're starting to get close, you can say, all right, can I tweak one or two things to like get this over? All right. So like I just created a website uh, three weeks ago and you know, it was, it was getting pretty close to profitability. And I'm like, okay, let me just do a quick website redesign and add a a pricing page, even though the pricing was on the landing page, let me add like a review page for the first couple of sets of clients we have. And literally just by adding like four more pages and making the footer instead of like, you know, dabble, like a dabble ventures company, like making it bigger and saying where we're from, just, you know, maybe like two weeks of work that actually turned it from like not profitable to profitable. And so now it makes sense to invest time in the SEO. So kind of after you know that like, hey, there's a channel that works, that's like when you lean back on the product, right? So like a lot of the time, especially when you're building a SaaS, like in the case of the example that I said, this is more of like an info product, um, like selling data. But, you know, in the case of like SaaS, the nice part is you got monthly recurring revenue to kind of help with that LTV. Um, But really it's just like working to improve the product because you'll get a quick feedback loop, like, you know, in especially in an MVP, like, you'll learn quickly, like if somebody unsubscribes, like in two or three weeks, but you really then lean back in the product. And the nice part is, is like, as the product grows and you get more customer bases, more people will actually like refer people. And that's kind of like that vibe. Basically it's like the way I look at it is like, get a profitable marketing channel, make the product good enough to actually get people to refer organically. And then if you wanna almost put like, gasoline on the fire, like implement a um, affiliate program. And then that way you can at least like track. And if, if your affiliate program is actually not producing anything, then it actually means your product's not like great. And then you go back. Right. And like, you'll want to do some of these basic like SaaS things where you, you know, might want to implement like intercom, see how many people are logging in each day, things like that to like do basic iterations. But a lot of the time it's like, you really want to validate on, is this idea worthy and can my branding line up with like this worthiness that you created? Like, because a lot of it's just like branding and like sure marketing copy helps a little bit, but it's just like, you know, I even had products where it just like, it spells out, I solved it. Like we solved this problem, sign up here. And if the problem hurts enough, then, you know, that that'll flip it over. And so, Pricing is a really easy way to say, um, you know, like, hey, I, you can do this 10 times cheaper. But in the case of warm up inbox, it was one of those things where it was like the industry was kind of new. That's where it's like if you could find something that's like an industry is just starting, you know, for the, for example, the AI and GPT-3, that's already like too far out. I'm more talking about like, you know, sub industries where like, for example, I'm jumping into the vending space, like vending machine and coffee office services space right now because nobody's in it. You know, it's like a really old dated industry where it's like, okay, there are some concepts that haven't been touched yet. And that makes these kind of like, hey, the marketing channel works because, you know, maybe only a few, like, for example, the one niche that I'm in, it's only searched 700 times a month for that exact word. But then there's all these ancillary words that are around it that actually make it like a 10, 20,000 a month searched word. And if you can own that one thing, like you got yourself a pretty good business, but you know, it, it might cap out at five, 10 K a month, but again, you'll have that moat. So it'll, it really will last a really long time. 
Yeah, that's well said. The process, I think, is super helpful for people to think about because when they're trying to put all these pieces together, you're getting information all over the place in terms of how to do it and what steps happen when, and people start doing steps out of order before you know it, the whole thing becomes a mess. So I love your logical process in terms of like, here's the step you're on, you know, here's what the criteria looks like in order to move on to the next step. And until you get there, don't do that because otherwise you're just going to set yourself up for trouble later. So the the process, the way you've laid it out, I think is great. And also the fact that you've identified and you know articulated well for folks that there's opportunity everywhere, right? But like you said, the niches, if you're focusing on the unique combinations or a world you know very well or diving deep, you will find some really specific problems. I did a deep dive last year into the world of accounting and accounting services. And man, did I find a ton of problems. There are there's so much opportunity for blowing up that industry and making it better. Uh, it'll take its time to come along. But it was amazing to me how quickly I could find what I consider to be problems worth solving, or at least investigating, doing more research, a number of the tactical things you're describing in order to really validate the opportunity just by getting more narrowly focused, right? Instead of going horizontal, you go vertical, right? You go into one vertical, find other unique combinations. And before you know it, with people like you and I, and I know the other folks that listen to the show, we are passionate about doing this work. So if you just do the kind of research that we know that you can, then chances are you're going to stumble upon a lot of opportunities. It's just about figuring out how to get started and where to look. Yeah. And I, I call it like just stumbling into industries, just like, you know, it it Love can't it. hurt to like, just pr- try to start a company for a couple of weeks and just like, see what roadblocks you run into. I mean, it, you know, uh, in this example of like accounting, right, obviously that's like a monster market, but like, you know, at some point, like Stripe Atlas and First Base were created because like somebody probably tried to start a company and, and be like, oh my God, like even just this is a mess. Like, um, and so like I, well I just stumble into different like spaces, right? Like uh, you asked me two weeks ago, like I didn't have a coffee company and now I do, you know, it's like it just because I went to a roaster and they're like, hey, we can white, like we can white label this. And I'm like, oh, I've always wanted to start this. And like, I found a marketing channel that works for coffee, you know, and it's like, it just, it's one of those things where it's like, I still don't even know how coffee is like the different ways you can brew coffee in a very specific way. But over time you can stumble into that. Um, but it's like, I just know that I found a marketing channel that works and like, that's actually what produces revenue. And then you can either hire people to solve those problems or you figure them out over time. So Super well said and couldn't agree more. I also find it very interesting. Like you said, right? Something that you've wanted to do. Now you've found an opportunity that you think may be worth capitalizing on, but it really keeps it interesting because people are oftentimes trying to figure out like, you know, do I solve the problem I found or do I solve the, where I found the opportunity in terms of what I'm passionate about? And I think you can really get creative with those combinations here by following an approach like the one that you've laid out to be able to do essentially both, right? You can solve problems about things you're passionate about in an area where you have an interest, or you can develop it um, just like I kind of did in the accounting world Been doing like accounting as a hobbyist, so to speak, for a while there, not a CPA or anything like that, but I know enough to be dangerous. That was enough institutional knowledge about the industry in order to really understand like where the bottlenecks are, where they could be better because since we've had expertise in other industries, that happens a lot too, where someone takes a concept that was applied in one, applies it to the other, and it just changes the game in a major way. So um, there's not a lot of industries talking with one another about and sharing these opportunities. They just don't have a lot of like 
uh, cross communication. So for someone who's willing to do that legwork, there's often a, a lot of opportunity. Right. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of people who like the, the world in which people are kind of stumbling into new ideas and like entrepreneurship, uh, like it isn't as big as you think. And so basically if you, if you find some sort of really good concept in one industry, it's very likely it could be copied across 50 plus different industries. It's just a matter of picking something picking an industry that you actually like, like to work in. Um, and then going from there. Good example. Mike, thank you so much for being here. I have, you know, ton of questions to continue this conversation. I'd love to do it in another episode if you're open to it, because I'd love to learn more about from your perspective, like who you decide to invest in, which ideas you decide to invest in, when you look to make said investments. There's a whole conversation to be had about that. And I know it will incorporate some of your process. Then you have great value to provide for us about that as well, too. So first and foremost, thanks for being here and sharing your experience. And basically, the only other question I have for you besides is there anything else you'd like to share for our audience is who should be looking to reach out to you and what would the best way be for them to get in contact? Sure. Yeah. One, uh, first, thanks. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Um, yeah, I guess one, one thing I didn't cover is I, I work with kind of up and coming entrepreneurs that, um, you know, basically help them kind of incubate an idea, whether it's helping build an MVP or really helping build a lot of these funnels that I talked about. Um, so yeah, if anybody's looking to start a company, reach out, uh, my email's Mike at dabble.ventures and, and you can check out our website at dabble.ventures. Thank you for sharing, Mike. And I would encourage any of our listeners who are working on something cool to definitely reach out to Mike. Uh, brilliant uh, in terms of approach and has had a lot of success. So he can for certain point you in the right direction. And any of the uh, anything you shared with us here today too, Mike, will also be in the show notes for this episode. So for anyone who's listening, check that out uh, in order to gain access to all that information. And Mike, uh, just last thing I mentioned is thanks again for being here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Product Launch. I hope you got value out of it. I like to feature product people on my podcast because that's who I love to help. I'm a product strategist and I can help you scale your business and grow your profit through a product. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you, email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Or visit my website at nextstep.io. That's nxtstep.io. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.